0: Shut up, and sit down. Hey there, and welcome to the
1: Third Period Podcast, the show that takes you around the UK ice hockey leagues, sponsored by Nuola for all your custom sportswear needs.
2: Good evening and welcome back to another episode of the Third Period Podcast. I'm Danny and here with me tonight I have Ash. Ash, how are you? Very good, thank you Danny. Fantastic. Ross in the cave, how are you Ross?
3: Yeah, fine and dandy, thank you.
2: Yeah, at least you're here with us this week.
3: (laughs) Yes, no internet issues this week.
4: (laughs) Scott, how are you? I'm all good mate, and how about yourself? Yeah, coping. The same old stuff
2: going on, so... Uh, So, without any further ado, I think we better get cracking. Uh, Tonight, we're going back a few years in the roster for uh, the guests that's with us. Uh, Our guest tonight spent four seasons in Coventry. Um, Some would describe as a Marmite character. um, Former Blaze defenceman, Kevin Noble. Good evening, Kevin. How are you?
5: I'm good. How are we doing, fellas?
2: Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you.
5: We're over here.
2: So, I'll get the cliche question out of the way. I uh, I so, like I said we always start with a good one. Where did it begin for yourself with ice hockey first memories?
5: Oh boy. Um <laughs> probably back further than I can remember until basically once I could uh once I could walk I think uh you know my old man threw me a threw me a tiny tiny little pair of skates there that he he uh he still has has to this day. Um he was involved quite heavily in like, um, in hockey in a small town I grew up, grew up in, in Sparwood. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those things. Once you could, once you could walk, it was, uh, get you on a pair of skates and, and get you going. And then, um, it was, um, for me in a small town, like it's a town of 2000, 3000 people. It was pretty much all the kids all would play hockey that liked hockey. So it was kind of, uh, you know, that's what we did, you know, in cold winters in the Rockies, and um, yeah, it was, uh, it it was a pretty, pretty fun childhood in a small town that way, Um, but yeah, it's pretty, 2000's pretty small. (laughs) That's quite small.
1: (laughs) Just going to jump in there then, Kevin, we've got some stats in front of us on your junior career, really, and I'm going to, throw it back to uh, a 2004-2005 season in the uh, KJIHL with the Creston Valley Thunder. You'd have been, say, 16, 17 at the time, played 50 games that season and amassed 225 penalty minutes, the highest you've ever had in a single season. Two parts. How did you manage that? And secondly, how do you manage that in a full face cage as well? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um,
5: see, that's, that's that's funny. Um, you know, as I'm working right now for the the junior A team here, it's um the landscape shifted a little bit. At that time, like it was a the junior B league in in my area, the Kijhl, uh, the Kootenai International Junior Hockey League, was where the kids, um, the the younger kids that were a little bit um, I guess better than playing midget in a small area like our midget program isn't very good which midget is like the the last group before you age out of minor hockey so those kids end up going to junior b and in junior b there's also a lot of local kids from the area that are 19 20 years old that um, didn't have the success to to get to the bc junior hockey league and are kind of working jobs in the local area so um, they stick around and and they play. In, in, the Kootenai, um, in the Kootenai International Junior League, there. And for, for me, as a young player, I had just finished playing at the Okanagan Hockey Academy. And that was our <clears throat> first year. And I was kind of wanting to cut my teeth a little bit more and get to the BC Junior League. So I figured going to Junior B and affiliating with the Vernon Vipers was going to be a better route to get to the BC Junior Hockey League than staying in the academy. Um, and at that time, the academy, which is there's actually one in uh, Swindon there, right Their, um yeah. affiliate camp. Um, we were a first year program and we weren't very good. We would play midget teams and we would lose 13 to one and 12 to one and we would get uh, absolutely beat up on. But now they're a powerhouse and they have NHL draft picks everywhere. Um, but my my teams there were um, a lot of um, kids that were. Um, from the U.S. that probably weren't as fairly talented as they have now. Um, so it was a pretty easy decision to go to the KI. And when I got to the to Creston, um, as a 16, 17-year-old, playing against 19- and 20-year-olds, and you can imagine playing my style of game,
0: um,
5: <laughs> it, it's gonna get to, you can get to 200 and, what did you say, 200 minutes in penalties? 200,
1: 225 over 50 games. Yeah,
5: so you can get to that. You can get that to that pretty quick, and we're also talking about a, a period in, in time when um the game was played a, certainly a different way than how we're playing it uh, uh the way it's played now, and they play with full face shields now. At the time, we only played with half visors in um mm-hmm. in the Kijhl, so it was um a proper junior league and quite a rough league and an older league. And being a younger player and a rookie, um, I had a Great year, was up for rookie of the year, and lost to drayson Bowman, who went on to have a you know a great pro career himself. Um, but I certainly played my style of game. Um, I took my fair share of beatings from twenty year olds, guys that worked at the mine, four on, four off. <laughs>
1: Jesus, fair play, though, standing up for yourself. much. <laughs> I can imagine.
3: So, Kevin, a couple of playoff campaigns as a junior in 06 07 with the Nanaimo Clippers, 24 playoff games being both sides of the spectrum, having played a higher amount of playoff games than the British style of the four game playoff tournament. Which do you prefer? And do you also, would you, with the longer the style of playoff work in Britain, do you think that would work in your opinion?
5: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, first off like those my years in the 90s um in the BC league were you know it took me a while to find a, a a nice home in in the BC junior league i played in Alberni for Jim Hiller he's actually um went on to have a pretty good assistant coaching career in the NHL and you know tremendous coach i i didn't really as a rookie on um we were one of the top teams in Canada that year in Alberni. i didn't get a ton of time i think playing 36 games or something like that. But then I ended up finding a home in Nanaimo eventually. And we had a lot of team success and we were one of the strongest junior A teams with a lot of, you know, players that um, went on to great professional and college careers and a few NHL careers. So it was a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun when you have, when you win, I think a lot of guys would say that when you have any success in team sport with winning, it, it really makes it a memorable experience. And for me, in the NIMO those were some of my best years going to the finals uh twice and to the Canadian national championships once um you know playing those deep long runs really sort of cements a bond within within you and and your teammates that you really can't um describe and and it and it's in relation to the English side of things where you're playing that sort of Almost a knockout, one and done, right? Uh, whether it's an aggregate system or whatever, like you know, that first game is is so important. Or obviously, the Nottingham, when you, if you get to Nottingham, a one-game winner-take-all is um, it, it, it's it's thrilling for the fans because you're getting a game seven every night, aren't you? Right? Yeah, and, um, basically, exactly. But as a player, hockey has always been a sport, elite. Sport in my opinion, where the attrition and the battle is what is the most endearing part of it. Um, so I would say that I, I like the longer playoff format, um, the North American style, but there's something exciting about that one game showdown, right? Um, and I, I also would say that I t- would tend to think you probably get the right winner most of the time in a seven game series. I mean, obviously, you know, just my opinion, but um I look back to my time with the Blaze. We um we had that great playoff run with um, Coach Weber there. Um and when I was talking to him the other day and we were reminiscing about about it. And um we played Cardiff and we won I think six one or something in Nottingham. We won we won by like a touchdown. And you know, you <laughs> gotta think that. <laughs> right, like that's a good, that's a quality hockey club on the other side, and if it's a seven-game series, do you end up winning that series? You know, I, you know, looking back, probably not. Um, But one game, it's like anything can happen, and that's kind of the beauty of um, of the landscape in, in 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 the elite league, at least I I think. Um, Kevin, in two thousand and eight, you went
4: to the NCAA now. From this side of the pond, we're we're big fans of that, from what we've learned about the NCAA. So you went to Mercyhurst College, and you were there for four seasons, and in your last season, you got to captain them. What made you take the NCAA route? And it must have been such a proud moment to actually captain them.
5: Yeah. uh, You know, honestly, I never wanted to play in the NCAA. I grew up in a small town and I was the first ever stick boy for a team called the Kootenai Ice in the WHL when they came to, when they came to Cranbrook. And I was 12 years old and getting to learn the landscapes of junior hockey and, you know, things that most 12 year olds don't ex- experience. And and at that time, you know, the old school mentality of coaches um, like Ryan McGill, who's with Vegas now, Mike Babcock and getting to stand on the bench and see them Interact with the players and stuff that cannot be repeated in this day and age, and the and the, and the language. And I still remember Mike Babcock just absolutely reaming me out as a twelve-year-old for you know filling his team's water bottles, in they were losing, and I guess I did a bad job. It's pro- quite plausible that I did do a bad job. <laughs> so. So but I, um, I wanted to play in the WHL. And I was just, to answer your question, I wasn't, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't big enough, strong enough, or mature enough to, to, to make the WHL as a 16-17. And then when I had my chance as an 18-year-old, it was not ideal to really be an 18-year-old rookie in the WHL. It's the quickest way to the NHL, playing in the Western League. Um, and certainly the most ready the ready of guys benefit from it. But for me, it was um, uh, more of a long game that I had to play. And uh, I wasn't convinced on schooling at that point either. You know, I wasn't that interested in education. Um, you know, now look at me, I have undergrad degree and a master's degree and I'm in law school and it's... Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's uh, wow, okay, you know, the things you learn about yourself. But yeah, no, I, I didn't want to go. I, um, But I took... That was the only thing that uh, kind of made sense and it, it ended up working out
4: did like were, were you more kind of forced to go there then was it you, you your parents trying to say oh that should be a good route or were you advised that that's probably the best avenue
5: yeah you know i had you know i had i had great you know sort of education from my parents and my dad being involved in the sport and my mom you know they subtly always preached education and and you know you you won't regret it and you know it was a it was an easy thing for them to kind of steer me in that direction like I said because I didn't I I really didn't have any WHL teams kicking down my doors and if they did I I could probably confidently tell you if at 16 I was ready to play in the WHL I probably would have would have done that just by the the way I was at that time but it ended up um working out that um you know, my parents sort of stressed the importance uh, of education and and you know steered me in the right direction. And looking back on it, it was probably the best four years of my life. You know, the anybody will tell you about being an athlete at a US university is, um, is surreal, and it's a it was an amazing experience. I
4: I, I noticed in obviously in your last season there you you were captain um, and you also got twenty points of five goals. Did, did you suffer from vertigo going up the ice that far? <laughs> what was
0: going on?
5: Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. I, you know, for, so for me, for me, if you like look back to, to my junior A in the NIMO, like I had um, a great 20 year old campaign and I, and I always was, i prided on myself on trying to be, the player that the team needs me to be, or the coach needs me to be. And my last year in the NIMO, I was an older guy and relied on to quarterback, um, well, you know, to play on the power play with actually Matt Irwin, who is in the NHL now. So, you know, sliding some one-timers to an NHL guy isn't too bad either to get some points. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I was always able to kind of, you know, in those two situations, Mercyhurst my last year and Nanaimo my last year, I knew what I was expected of me and what I needed to do. And that was to be a little bit different player than I was in my first years in, the, in those leagues or what I went to in pro. I was never an offense first type guy, even at those, um, those levels, but it became more of a priority so I would focus more on, on that in, in those situations. But then when I got to pro, um, I knew what would keep me in pro, and it wasn't playing offense. And it yeah. was being a solid, uh, stable, reliable guy that you can put out there that, um, that can kill penalties, um, competes, and <clears throat> you, you know, works hard, blocks shots. Those were things that were easier for me to do, that are valuable to a team and a way to make a career and living out of playing hockey. Trying to be an offensive D-man, um, you know, is um, can be a lonely existence if you're not um, <laughs> if you're not putting up the points.
4: So you just went for putting your face in front of shots and away you
0: go (laughs) yeah
5: you know it's like i tell these uh, the kids you know here on the junior 18th it, you you got to know what you do well work on the areas that what you don't do well but you have to know what makes you successful and i i had a lot of good guidance and a lot of good coaches and you know parental support i knew what made me you know, a good player and what I needed to do f- to help the team win. And I did that. And in those two seasons, you know, it was it, like, Hey, you have to put up some points if you want to get a scholarship. Hey, you got to put up some points if you want to play um, professional hockey. So it's just like, okay, let's put up some points. Um, but yeah, you a lot of times you get labeled as a certain type of thing, but it's more of a, a choice. It's like, you can do that thing. Can I do it well, as well as somebody like, I don't know, like, can I do it as well as Errol Carlson? No, I can't, but you know, I, I can do it. I can do it my way. It's kind of like if you think of an NFL quarterback situation, you have Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, they're two very different people. One uses his feet and is an elite level athlete and one uses his mind and his, you know, his intangible assets that make him a good, you know, pocket passer. So that's kind of the, you know, it wasn't pretty the way you got it done. And, and it was, for me, it was always a thing. that There was not a lot of sex in my game, like a good-looking style. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, you know, I think Pat Riley said it best. You know, style doesn't give you, give you success or points. So,
4: I, um, I noticed you also played with uh, Brett Robertson at, at that time. Did, uh, was he the same sort of guy he was back then? Or has he evolved as a player? What was he like?
5: Yeah, Robo. Oh, you know me and Robo. We, uh, oh boy, he. Uh, what a, you know, I, I, I loved playing with with Robo. Um, I played with him at Mercyhurst. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, so we weren't like we were close, but we became closer when I finally got to the East Coast League and played with him in Greenville, and then I got traded, and then ended up back in Coventry with him for two or three years right it was he was there for a bit um yeah we um uh, he had some great some great times robo and um playing with um uh, playing with him at mercer say there was some there were some good funny nights i'll tell you that much um <laughs> you know i i don't know if you'll like me saying this but i remember one night uh he uh he gave himself his own haircut. We were out having a, a few beverages, and, uh, and uh, there was like I forget the style of hair at the time. I, I can't remember, but he uh, he decided to, to give himself his, his own hairdo, and it, uh, <laughs> it, certainly, it it certainly didn't turn out. Oh, that's brilliant.
2: So, <laughs> Go on, Don. No, what I was just gonna say that's brilliant. Obviously, we'll, we'll have to try and get him on to try and uh, berate him about the hair, just hairstyle. Let's <laughs> see what he does. Yeah, I think
5: like, it like it was a subtle thing, but I we were he it was kind of like I think another guy was helping him too, and uh, he was like, eh, Does this look good? And it's kind of like, Ooh,
3: Yeah,
5: sure, <laughs> yeah, you roll with it. I wish I could remember awesome. what the hairstyle was at that time, but he. He likes, yeah, he like was had, oh, uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so after the final season, then with uh, Mercyhurst, you took off uh, with a playoff campaign in the CHL uh, with Missouri Mavericks. Um, how did that one come about? Uh, Were to join an, a team just for the playoff run or was it something you already had lined up before that season ended? Yeah, I was,
5: I was always like, you know, I'm, I was almost close to not going back for my final season at Merciers because I, I was kind of always wanted to play professional and it was a game that was you know better suited for for my style of player and and it came about uh, um, at the end of the year my agent you know all sort of aged out college guys that uh, have the opportunity to play crow can either get you know called up to if they're signed by an NHL team go to the NHL or the American League or the East Coast League and and at that time, the Central League and East Coast League were, you know, still competing. They're, they're not in existence anymore. Um, my agent, uh, he had this, you know, lined up. And I was kind of like, well, sure, why not? And uh, we went there and we were really good. Unfortunately, we had a really short playoff run. We, you know, we, um, we lost to Fort Wayne that that year. But, um, if, you know, playing in Kansas City, like, I... If the East Coast League didn't come up the following year, I probably would have gone back there and um, with that coach in that city. It was a really great and cool town. Playing in Kansas City, it's uh, well actually, I think we were in Missouri because Kansas and Missouri are like Kansas City is like half the places in Missouri and half the places in Kansas. So it was a yeah, it was a cool experience. And my agent basically kind of um, set set that up um, at the time.
2: Wow, that's uh, it's good to obviously hear that he had something lined up for you at least to keep you going through it. Just a few games, like you say, but it's a nice little place, Missouri. I like Missouri. I've
5: never been. I want to go. Definitely want to go. Yeah, it's um, yeah, you know, it's uh, going there for like um, a, a college game or an NFL game would be super, uh, super uh, exciting. Like, um, yeah, I would, I would recommend it.
3: So Kevin, in 2012, 2013, and 13, 14, you played 36 games across two seasons, where with the Stockton Thunder and the St. Charles Chill. With this due to injury, or was it just the cutthroat business American hockey seems to be?
5: No, completely. Um, it was it was probably the toughest two years of my, my career. Um, I had three surgeries and In less than 12 months um, in those places Um, in Stockton I was going well um, and a completely um, um, freak in and it was and I was doing well in a lockout year so we had a lot of American League guys and NHL guys hanging around like in Alaska that year Gomez Dubinsky Crab Thompson were playing in Alaska, so that was a quite an awesome experience playing, playing against those guys. Um, and then shortly after, shortly after that, um, you know, the way I played um, was a lot of fighting and sort of scrums. And um, my coach at the time was we were working on like um, some techniques, fighting wise and grappling type thing in practice. And my thumb got tied up. In his jacket, and I tore the UCL in my thumb, and um, I needed to go for surgery. So it's like skier's thumb. So basically, my thumb came all the way back to my, <laughs> my forearm. Oh. And that was kind of the end of my season. And um, that, yeah, that was like the downhill slide of a, a, what's that book? A No Good, Very Bad, Horrible 12 Months or something. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of like twenty twenty.
3: Yeah. <laughs> One way of and then, <laughs> okay,
5: Yeah. So I had surgery, and then I um, I came back probably a little too soon, and my wrist was weak, and I broke my scaphoid in my wrist on hitting a guy immediately on my return. So I had to go for surgery for that, and the scaphoid. Mm-hmm you know, you learn a lot about, uh, you almost become an, a, an expert in your injury because you get so much information on my, it didn't heal right. And I was out for about 10, almost 10 months with that, um, about six to eight weeks with my thumb. And I had to go to special treatments in LA. They sent me to see, um, um, the Curlin job clinic, which is, which is where, um, You know, they would send, you know, (laughs) looking back, it was kind of, you know, now Kobe Bryant has passed as I had the same doctor as him. I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty cool, you know, (laughs) Um, but you're hurt. And then you just, you slowly get back and I get back to being okay. And then I, um, I get in a fight and I, um, the next start of the next season and I rupture my pectoral muscle and I have to go in for major uh, shoulder pectoral surgery to reattach the, the pec. And, um, and that was effectively a six month recovery. So that was the end of that season. So two seasons really essentially in North America, which were just injury riddled um, that, you know, cost a lot of games, but you know, I had done enough in those, Limited games that I was a guy that could find a job still or stay on that team I was with, you know, uh, which was which I was fortunate about. Some some situations, you know, you just get, you never get another chance.
3: Well, I'm surprised you wanted to drop the gloves again. That's uh, <laughs>
5: that's one question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> it's like so. You want to play? So you want to play uh, professional sports? Well, <laughs> that's the. You know, that'd be the, the first chapter. So you want to play professional sports. This is what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and I still consider myself pretty lucky, to be honest with you, with injuries. I would still say I was pretty injury, injury-free, injury you know, as per, <laughs> as far as a hockey guy goes.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. I'm just going to jump in here, and then before we move on to your time in Britain and with the Blaze, Your final season in the Coast, uh, 2014-15, you got a full campaign. And obviously, following the conversation you just had about injuries, I bet it felt great to get that full campaign under your belt and a playoff run as well. Um, Was this your season to get yourself a contract elsewhere and push on to that next level?
5: Yeah, I ended up, um, you know, a great coach and a friend, Bruce Ramsey, signed me in Tulsa. Um, I ended up even getting... um, uh, to to go to the Oilers American League uh, um, team for two different stints while I was um, there. I got training camp and then I got called up mid-season for a cup of coffee, a couple bag skates by um, Kelly Bookberger and then sent back down. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I was uh, really, that was a really, you know, I had a great time in Tulsa. I had a great year and a great group of guys, and I was, uh, you know, obviously healthy for the first time in a whole in a whole campaign, and had success in the East Coast League, and then had success, you know, where you got called up and kind of made a name for yourself. And I, I wasn't thinking about Europe at all at that point. I had never really traveled. Didn't have much of a traveling bug at all, and I was. Signed to go back to Tulsa, back to the coast, and at the time could have thought played there for the rest of your career. Um, But then um, this opportunity, my agent at the time and a buddy, a good buddy of mine, Cullen Eddy in uh, Sheffield, was playing over there, and uh, this opportunity, I just put out a feeler, and it was late August, I think, and Chuck Weber called me and. He had Drew Fisher in Coventry at the time, and me and Fish had played the year before in Tulsa, and we became really close. And still to this day, like with I played with his brother at Mercyhurst, so it's it's crazy hockey's a small world. And Eddie in Sheffield, I played with at Mercyhurst, so so I got a pretty good idea of what it was like. And and then Chuck called, and his. You know, he said, Well, I was gonna to talk to you earlier in the year, but uh Fish said that you're going back to you know to Tulsa to the American League camp and and I didn't didn't know this. So we started going down the rabbit hole and 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 Chuck was probably the biggest reason that I came. You know, just that familiarity of a North American coach with um, you know, certainly a career coach, a guy that's really passionate about coaching you know if you ever talk to chuck he's um he's he's on it <laughs> um and i was like okay I, I think this all sounds good and then but i had to have that sort of like the money was about the same and i had to have that sort of okay but why this over you know just staying here and and you know what it was the education it was just like okay i'll come if i can do the schooling and, and Peasy and Chuck at the time were both huge in making that work because we had already filled our schooling spots and 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 they're like, okay, we've got you the schooling, but you have to sign for two years. And I was just like, well, okay, two years, get the schooling. And I started weighing the sort of little Ben Franklin list pros and cons. And like, okay, you can go back East Coast League and American League. And you know, like you realistically, it's just gonna be that on and off for the next five, 10 years. And, you know, I, again, um, from my parents and I, so I decided to go to Coventry.
4: Did, did you know Chuck before? Had you had any dealings with him or was it just that you knew of him?
5: Well, I knew of him because Robo and played for him in Cincinnati and had a lot of success too. And obviously, you, you know, being in the North American system, um, you you know of Chuck right like you know just from being in the coast and and that and never having played for him but when you when you have that familiarity with somebody that kind of knows and can you can have those like little lighthearted chats about like oh how was that coach how was this coach what was it like there or this happened in the coast remember that game and and it, you know you just kind of warmed up to the idea and and he made me pretty comfortable with like you know um leaving north america for for europe which i had never done and i was quite like i wouldn't say homesick but you're quite like at the way i was it wasn't i wasn't convinced so it was um he was a big sort of part in just like that initial comfortability and then having robo and brian stewart who i played with in alberni and fish there like those guys like you know i was like okay so it must be it must be okay <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
4: Whilst, whilst we're on the subject of Chuck, I, I don't know if you've seen the Blaze did a uh, a quick uh, Zoom call with him. And he, he said something very quite funny about yourself, that when we went into games with OT, you would pick out a forward and try and get yourself both chucked out of the game. And he said that he noticed you doing this after a couple of games and asked you, what you were doing, you were just, and you said it was just uh, a good, uh, you're not going to take a penalty shot. So why not try and take the first line guy out? <laughs> so, well, my question <laughs> to you is, did you have a target? Oh, I'll fa- I fancy taking him out. Or was it, oh, let's just see what happens?
5: Yeah, no, like for me, I, I never had a predetermined um, plan going into <laughs> the way I played. It was just, it was all like sort of light switch. It's like, I'm, so I, we can touch on that later, but um, no, in those situations, like if it became like a situation where there was a scrum after the whistle and we're down under two minutes or something like that, it's, he might as well take a two minute coincidental penalty. And, you know, hopefully it's a guy like, I don't know, I think it was probably like a Sheffield or Nottingham where it's a guy like Levi Nelson or something like that at the time, or that's going to take a penalty shot um, or Brad Moran or something like that. And for me, like, you know, I wasn't gonna shoot and and most most likely, you know. <laughs> and I just it's a good trade-off. And you know, that was more the coach that was more the coach in me, if he would would say like, well and and, and at that point I was tired too, fellas. It's like, okay, this is enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's <was> pretty good. <laughs>
0: uh
3: so, uh, we had a playoff loss. Um, uh, we lost 2 0 to the Panthers. Uh, the game was more remembered for Brett Robinson going out uh, of the game in the first few minutes. How much did that hurt the loss that played the final and having a chance to create Blaze history to win back to back playoff championships?
5: Yeah, you know, I, I it was. It was you know why it was tough because you saw how heartbroken Robo was for not being able to play. And anybody that's had a separated shoulder or, or something where, like, a pulled groin or a weak knee, and you're you just you know, you can't go, it's just really a sickening feeling. It's like you want to play, but it just there's nothing there to, to contribute, and not that. Yeah, it's not Robo's Robo's fault, but having Robo healthy for that game, you know, I think it was Bruton and Lauzon's line with him there. You know, that was a really big line for us, and we just we couldn't get, we couldn't get enough. Um, we just were Nottingham got up and being the home team, and and not having that that depth in that line that had so much success the night before against Cardiff, we were fighting the game and we're chasing the game. And when you get in those situations and sort of those game seven type things, like the other team is, they're not going to give up a lead a lot of the time, you know, because you become so locked down that it's not a game 30 type situation where you might catch them sleeping um, and and dialed off. It's, they can taste it. They, um, you know, they're, and they, they know we're fighting the game and we just uh, we just couldn't generate enough offense in, in that game. it's it's one of those ones that looking back it I think it was there for us, but we just didn't have losing Robo we just didn't have the depth to to keep to keep going with a team like Nottingham's depth. you know they're rolling four lines we, we had three lines and it becomes quickly one and a half lines that can are you can really expect to produce and you know then it hurts the power play and you know you start forcing the game all positions you, you know and release really some more mistakes and and that's kind of what i remember that night but mostly robo he was he was choked and and everybody was choked but um, that's a tough one to not be able to play in
1: 100% it was uh, bad enough as a fan watching that game feeling that we could actually win the the, med- uh, the trophy sorry and then we're only fans, we only see it from sat on chairs and on TV. It's got to be a million times worse for the players and I think sometimes fans don't see that side of it. Um, But moving on from that little negative to a bit more positive, um, that off-season you went off to Australia um, to take part in the Wayne Gretzky Ice Hockey Classic. Well, can you explain that for one? Because I know a lot of people won't have heard of it. And how does that come about? Because that's got to be some prestigious thing being Wayne Gretzky.
5: Yeah. Um, so those kind of all tied in together to that one. I helped, um, I helped, um, VAs in, um, in Sheffield for the same, for the same group. Uh, and so that first year Wayne Gretzky had attached his name to it. So, uh, you know, meeting, uh, meeting Wayne Gretzky and being able to hang out with him and, you know, um, hear some stories and, um, you know, sort of be, be around while well, the great one, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> is. Pr- you know, an opportunity that came about because, um, of my good friend, Adam Cracknell, um, and he was going on the tour and he was one of the sort of NHL guys that, uh, they needed an extra, extra, um, guy and, um, and a guy that insurance didn't cost much because you can only bring on these tours, not to get into it too much. You can only have so many NHL guys because to insure certain contracts or quite a bit of money. So um <clears throat> we uh so it's filled with a couple NHL guys and then sort of East Coast league American League guys with contracts that are all pretty affordable to ensure. Anyway, so that's it came about by Adam Cracknell, And then I got on the tour and I met Kerry Goulet, uh the gooch, and he um runs stop concussions and he's been putting these on for a bunch of years in Australia and and became good friends, and you know, like the cause. And um, I lived in Australia as a kid growing up, and you know, I really have a soft spot for Australia, and hopefully, I can get there soon. But um, it it was a it was an awesome experience, two weeks uh, of my life that I'll never forget slash never remember because there is a good amount of beverages too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome time and um great group of guys. And it's um for people that don't know, you do like a Canada US sort of um not an official Canada US but um thing and I tell you it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Like we sold out multiple arena you know, we played in the Rod Labor in Melbourne. Where they do the tennis, and then we played in the Quatos Bank in Sydney, which had fourteen thousand people for Wayne Gretzky there. So it was um, it was quite a quite a trip, and um, you know, you met so many great people on that, like uh, the Hanson, um <clears throat> the Hanson brothers, um, uh, <laughs> Dave Hanson, um, his kid Christian. I got to know quite well. Uh, was a good player, played for the Leafs, and so he was on that trip um so he telling stories about Paul Newman and um, you know different uh, Hollywood type moments from that came out of that and really really cool really cool experience
1: does sound like it does sound absolutely well out of this world really um but that yeah, fair play for you getting the call and for going with it
5: <laughs> yeah yeah I think I called them I think I was like please <laughs> <get them."> <laughs> <laughs>
2: So obviously you oh. come back for us uh, a couple more seasons than Kevin with, with the Blaze um, clearly obviously enjoyed the European tour uh, considering it wasn't on the uh, aforementioned before leaving in Tulsa. Um, just kind of briefly scanning over the print, penultimate season with the Blaze you go on and get given the A um, other obviously you've you know worn letters previously but then in your last season with us you then obviously get promoted up to a player assistant coach. Uh, Is it much of a change going from just playing and wearing an A to being like a player assistant coach?
5: Yeah, the player assistant coach, that's a, (laughs) that is a slap shot moment, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The the Reggie Dunlop situation. A Great experience. And, you know, thank Danny for, for, you know, for that. Um, It's not. Looking back, it's probably not ideal in terms of having a player assistant coach and also playing. You're either a coach or you're a player. Um, it's it's a certain it's a they're two different they're very two different experiences, um, and it's tough to juggle and balance both because you all you want the respect and the and the team environment. Of being a player and and having that respect as a as a team member, but then you're also in positions in in where you don't want um, those boundaries to overlap between your player and you have to play with, you know your your colleagues and teammates, but then you also don't want to be part of decisions that um, affect them at the same time negatively and it's a tough it's a tough juggling act and it's good that i think most of these gotten away from the player assistant coach there i think i think so i maybe what dundee might still have one or at least they did but it it, is a tough position to be in because you don't want your teammates to feel like you know you you want it you need to be a part of the team and you know, now that it being on the other side as a coach, there has to be those those boundaries for accountability and that sometimes hard decisions need to be made. And although I wasn't making those hard decisions in Coventry, it can be misconstrued, I I, I think, from some of the team and the guys that, you know why am I not on the power player? Why did he get released? Did Noble have a say in that? And that was never the case, but you can, you can probably imagine that that puts you in an awkward position with, yeah, with those things. So it was a great experience, but it's probably looking back, like not ideal to, wouldn't be ideal to do to do again in that situation. And at that level, certainly at that level, Kevin, do you think it hindered your game that season? Well, no. Statistically, if you look, it was my best season in the UK. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At eighteen points, I mean. uh, So it might. So
4: it it. It might have been a good thing, you know, and you just didn't realize. So I'm I'm going with that one then.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know, it. it, it, You know what? Like I said, you had to. It's tough. You have to balance. You have to balance the player you, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it, it, I would just say it's it, it probably not ideal overall. Statistically, it was a, a great season, but um, looking back, I, I probably would, um, I think you're either a, a coach or you're a player, really. Player. Yeah, and I, I w- still wanted to be a player, and, and that was why it was probably tough.
4: I'm, I'm, I'm going to touch on something that uh, it, it annoys me a little bit because I think people are very quick to judge. And there were there were stories coming out around the league that you were the most hated player in the league. Uh, I remember Ryan, Ryan Finity in a press release slagged you off saying you were feigning injury at one point. Um, obviously, you weren't on Andrew Lord's Christmas card list in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> so... How how as a did that bother you, uh, or were you just like yeah bring it on?
5: You know like, and it it's awesome because like I absolutely love it, and I, <laughs> I, I I I thrived on it, and I was told long ago like they don't hate nobodies, and you know if they were focused on you know my whatever um you know it was hopeful that you know other guys would get a free pass and i think a lot of times you know that was the case like you know so much hate for me that you know other guys that don't want to play the physical game can kind of get get away but um yeah it was uh it's 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 funny because uh i think there was a youtube video or whatever um somebody made of that right and um i remember one of uh, my buddies uh um obey kubel we were in australia and he plays for the flyers and he, small little french guy and he comes up and he's just like oh i watched a youtube video of you last night and he, <laughs> and he, goes, <laughs> he goes, <"No." laughs> so amongst like your guys in the room is my point is that it's it's um it's funny and uh, and you laugh about it and you know, if you talk to Drew Fisher, we would, um, in Tulsa, there was always an ongoing joke. And, um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but WWE, um, or WWF, there was Razor Ramon and it's just like, and here comes the bad guy. And you'd have to 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 curl. And it was like, "Eh." and fish would always give me a hard time about that. And he goes, and here comes the bad guy. And then one day he says to me, he goes, Oh no. he goes, it's funny because you know what? Like, you're not a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm like, I know. And it's like, I don't even like it's not premed. It was never premeditated or it was never like, Hey, I'm going to go out there and be a complete jackass. And, you know, just stir it up. It was just, that's just how I played. I competed hard and, and there was no easy inch of ice that I ever wanted to give. And, you know, th- there was always, you know, something that was just, um, just annoying about my game to other guys. And it was just like irritating that cause it was, it never, there, it was, there was never like an off shift or off night. And, um, <clears throat> the, um, and it started from when I was in Creston back to what you said, um, then the, then the, my mom works for the Tanaha nation here as a director of finance. And, um, the, the the natives in the area at that time would have um, um you know lo- they were just so great to me um they had signs and it was skin coots and that was my nickname the skin coots and I was like what does that mean and they're like oh it's it's uh, a native for coyote I was like okay and they're like yeah the coyote always starts shit and he's and then he always just disappears <laughs> 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 he's just He's just a shit, you know. Like the, the coyotes, you know, around this area, they're just always into, they're always up into trouble, and they're always just a pest and a pain in the ass. But then they're, they, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're, <laughs> they're gone.
4: Um, Kevin, I, I, I mean, I watched you for four years, but the fact that you already had a nickname that summed you up, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> well done to those guys.
5: Yeah, yeah, skin, skin coots. No, I still, um. It's funny. My mom still has a sign. It's like uh, just a cardboard sign, but uh, yeah, no. So it started. It started long ago, and it was never premeditated or really thought of as just like my game. And it just I guess I'm just a just an unlikable person. <laughs> light switch of the puck drops. <laughs> there's, a,
2: there's a there's a famous saying that i can't remember who said it I'm, I'm sure scott or ash will point out there's a famous saying that one of the professional footballers in in england has said before kevin if the if the fans are singing your name you're doing something right if the the fans are booing you you're doing something right the moment they yeah. stop or don't pay attention to you you know you've, not, you've got to up your game so the fact that yeah. they were booing you or cursing you or whatever you did something you've left the impression that's the main thing <laughs>
5: Like you said, like I said, I I think that's perfect. And yeah, that's, they don't boo nobody's. And I was all, it was always a way back to what I said earlier. It was a way I could stand out and be like, he played tonight. There's nothing worse than you leave the game. And, you know, did that guy play? I, I don't know. And those guys can, there's some guys that, hey, did he play tonight? And you look at the scores he had, he was one and two. You know, goal and two assists, and you're like, oh, he played, you know. But it's like I didn't notice him until then. But it was always a a situation, where it's like, you know, it was when I started my pro career. It's like, do something that makes you memorable, and the coach give them a reason to not take you out of the lineup. It's like, and that was always for me a way that I stayed in the lineup and stayed around for as long as I I could. I wasn't um, certainly. You know, it was certainly a tough role for me as a middleweight type guy that had to answer or not answer to guys that are 50 to 75 pounds heavier and out of my weight class. Right. Like, you know, I always felt like that was the downside of it. And, you know, having to get, you know, beat up or take fights that are not (laughs) going to go well for you. You know, and that was oh, and that's kind of the landscape of hockey, right? You don't have the middleweight fight where Floyd Mayweather fights Manny Pacquiao, you right? You have, you know, you you have Floyd Mayweather having to fight Evander Holyfield, you know, yeah. like it's like that's uh, you don't fancy that one. Yeah, it's a, you know, a, and, and the way I played is that obviously you know, conversely, you're on the upper side of a middleweight, right? You know, nobody wants to fight you. That is, you know, maybe questioning if they want to fight so it was always um a fine a fine balance but uh i take i took pride on on being hard to play against and that came with um you know that came with um some sour sour grapes from other players and and all that but i think any guy you, you speak to that i played with you know knew that i i <clears throat> was always a good teammate and you know cared about my teammates and would do anything for them. And, and wasn't, it wasn't um, <laughs> off the ice was a complete con- contrary to the on the ice person.
1: Echoing on from Scott's question there and what Danny's mentioned about what fans say, um, why are you with the blaze? And I've heard it myself and no doubt the guys have heard well, you seem to split the fan base a bit and took a shed load of flack some fans seem to love your game style, the way you take a pucks to the face night in, night out, you block shots. Then others, we could see the goal, and you're on the ice, and it was your fault. How do you react to that? How do you, well, knowing that some of the fan base are using you as a scapegoat for anything that goes wrong, how does that affect you as a player?
5: You know, <clears throat> I I think for me, like I would to stay off of like social media and not engage in that because I see it does now affect guys a tremendous amount and if they say it doesn't I think they would be lying it affects the players in that I'm coaching now the social media and whether that and that's not even like as bad as the professional side of things but these are distractions um, so I always made an effort to not be interactive or engaged and to to distance myself from that. And I always felt, you know, I always felt that I could be the one, if somebody has to wear the blame, I was okay with that. Um, You know, obviously it's not worth making an argument about (laughs) whether it is your fault or not, because that's not a team, a team game. It's kind of, you know, no blame, nobody. It's, you win as a team and lose as a team, and that was my honest approach to it. But I felt like, hey, there's another thing I can do for my teammates. If it is my fault, then, you know, I got to correct that and be better. And if it isn't my fault, I can, I can take that because, you know what, it, it takes the ease off of somebody that maybe, maybe, like, it was easier for me to hold that than to, say, a guy that isn't producing right now as a goal scorer That, you know, he doesn't need something else to worry about. And, you know, for what I had to do was easier than, you know, having to go out there and produce and put up points. So having that sort of carrying that sort of burden was, you know, I felt, you know, part of the team duties of at the time, whether it's fair or not is that's for the. Tribunal of fact of the the keyboard warrior, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in general, like whether you know, half love me, half hate me. Uh, you know, I had nothing but love for my time in Coventry and the, and the fans, and and I think if they if they did hate me, um, that's okay. But um, I, you know, I looked at it as a positive that I, I love that they could hate you so much that that's how much they care about the team and the sport right yeah. and <clears throat> you're never going to make everybody happy fellas it's um you know it's the it's the thing and you know I always uh I always get a good laugh at um the Monday morning quarterback when guys calling on the radio here for post NFL games and talking about how Tom Brady should be canned or you know Cam Newton was awful and <laughs> <laughs> and, and all that, and it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot harder <laughs> than it looks. So it's always been. No, it's um. It, it was. I had a great. You know, I think the Coventry fans are probably some of the most passionate, and and, and you know, sort of. I, I think just passionate, right? Like they they, they care that much that um, it's that diverse of a a topic.
1: You know that it's it's it's
4: important.
1: Oh, exactly. You, oh, sorry, Scott.
5: No, let's carry on. Carry on. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to jump in quick before you, Scott. You say about um, you said about social media and um, the keyboard warriors and we've said on here previously of different people and between ourselves, social media is a very scary place because people say what the hell they want when the hell they want and they don't care who they offend, and it's. It's not like they're on the ice with the the Andrew Lords, the Boris vilabics the Kevin Nobles. They're not going to be questionable. They can say what they want and get away with it because no one's going to question them. And yeah, social media is very bad for a lot of things. Um, but I'll, I'll go <coughs> off on that tangent. I'll throw it back to you, Scott.
5: No, I, I think just to touch on that. I think you're right, and I think um it is um, part of the game today, and it's almost like. I think, like I said, it does more harm to some guys than you know that that do like to read their press clippings because you know you if you're gonna read your press clippings when they're good, you got to read them when they're bad. And for me, I was um, <clears throat> I, it was just easier to stay off of. And 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 to 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 finalize your point is that a guy like Boris or myself or. Zach Fitzgerald, like it really does you no good to get engaged or 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 try to defend yourself because you know you, you you can't win that conversation even if you are right, you're wrong, right? So it's better just to to not. I always felt just to not be involved or, or on it and just to go about your business. Um, uh, yeah, so it it. Uh, I hope that you know people. Realize that before they, you know, they send out a tweet like that in the future, you know, to a, for a future Blaze player or a future Sheffield Steeler or whatever you want to say.
4: Yeah, no, my point I was going to raise is about social media. People don't have accountability for what they say. If you're not going to say it to the face, don't tweet it. But presumably, you've had players, teammates that have read those. Comments and obviously you shy away from it, but have you had instances where you've kind of had to say hey, just to another player, just stay away from it, just just ignore it? Because obviously, I mean, Twitter wasn't a thing ten plus years ago, so players didn't have to deal with it. But I suppose nowadays it's and as obviously going forward, if you're coaching, you're going to have to have young lads coming up to you saying, "Coach, this this player, uh, this fan said this about me."
5: Yeah it is a tough landscape to navigate these days and i like to use it for the fun of it and to poke jokes at yourself and to you know to have you know to have a laugh but you know there's a lot of stuff that happens on those things that i don't think are very funny um yeah. it's a focus of certainly um in first year law that I'm taking right now, it, we talk about in relation to defamation and um, not to get all educational. I'll get you Russ Kelly to come on and give you guys that. <laughs> uh, but it, it is a, it is a, it is a inconsistent area that we're trying to, to navigate these days. And, it, and it's a focus in, in more serious circles of, of of law and you know in, in, in terms of fans it it is like where do those boundaries get crossed and you know, as a hockey guy like I probably can guess that we don't have it nearly as bad as a Premier League player, right? Yeah. But the, the thing people don't realize is that it's um those even you know I'll say two things on that. It's it's a little bit easier when you have twenty million pound in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but even at that, you know, there's still people at the end of the day, and even people on private jets, you know, have depression and anxiety and and mental health issues, and and the the social media stuff does does make it harder. But I was always would tell guys and myself most importantly, and sometimes it's harder to take your own advice is <clears throat> to you know, to try to to separate those as much as you could and, and, and to and to not read them. Um it, it, it was you know there was some times where like the comments, you know, I, I'm trying to think back like one time in Coventry where I think it was um something happened with Ross Venus and um I remember there was some. He got hurt, and something somebody made a comment that was just kind of you know over the over the line. Something along like I think they wished he was hurt or something, and and it's kind of like where that becomes um, you know where you overstep the you know your your boundaries, and and you don't yeah. like to see guys you know because you know nowadays it's such a focus on mental health and and things like that, and I think these these sites can create. Problems and they do they do good and I'd like to see them more for the the good side of things. But you know, when you have a a president that can tweet out whatever he wants, whenever he wants, <laughs> with no with no regard, it becomes it becomes difficult.
3: So uh, your season finished and your hockey season come to an end. But a question we want to know was. Was there any truth in the talk that Nottingham were interested in signing you?
5: Nottingham interested in signing me? Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't...
3: News uh... to you, is it?
5: <laughs> no, I don't, um, you know what? I mean, that's probably a better, <laughs> a better ask to my agent. Um, not to my <laughs> recollection, but, um, you know... I, yeah you know, I don't know where rumors get started, but no, there was never really a thought of honestly playing anywhere else in 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 England um I was at the end of my time, I was either going back to the east Coast League um or I probably wasn't gonna play um It was just one of those uh sort of decisions where I wanted to go back to North America or stay in Coventry and my time in Coventry I think you guys kind of resemble it pretty well it, you know like I you didn't know it at the time but if you know you have you kind of go from being the hero to the villain in in when you're in that place for that long a time um you, you can become a blame factor and scapegoat for for other 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 underlying issues or problems and and for me I I was entertaining going to Wichita with my old coach and I came to go down the road that I want to get into different avenue of sport and coaching or governance um, and working as, you know, trying my hand in different sort of avenues of sport, whether it's an agent or, like I said, coaching. So I decided to, to go to, I was supposed to be going to Australia to play for three years and do my law degree. Obviously, the Australian league is shut down, and I'm doing my law degree online. And the borders were open. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> um, but it was never really um, a thought to go anywhere else. So maybe Nottingham did have interest, but not to my not that they ever really called or anything to make it a difficult situation to <laughs> to talk to think about. So I never really envisioned playing elsewhere than Coventry. To be honest with you, I liked. The area like the you know my teammates my fans and you know i you know i'm quite fond of the west midlands um but yeah it was it was like kind of it was for me more of a like okay what do i really want to do here long term not what can i do for the next two or three years um and then sort it out you know i was like let's be pragmatic about this kevin
3: so are, have you got any other plans in because obviously Australia. Have you got plans to get the skates back out anywhere else, or?
5: Yeah, well, I will play in Australia eventually. Um, when they get going, if they get going, I was supposed to be working for the Newcastle North Stars and playing for them and doing my law degree. That obviously got cancelled. Um, working as an assistant coach for the Cranbrook Junior Bucks here. You know we have um you know a great uh, ownership group and coaching staff, and it's been really great to work back in a place that kind of was my, my starting grounds and to see the the new age player and the way they, <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, working with some great, you know, great coaches, um, the current head coach was at Yale for the last couple of years. And um, um, it was funny. I was talking to Chuck the other day about, about it, and um, he goes, "Oh, uh, Ryan Donald, yeah, yeah, he was at Yale last year." And Chuck, he's just like, "Are you guys still running the one three one there?" <laughs> and we're talking all about it. He goes, yeah, "It's the lefty up or the righty up?" And I was just like, oh, I, "I remember Chuck now, you know, just <laughs> so diligent to his approach uh, of the game." And so it's been fun to to work with the with the the kids that are you know we have a few guys going on scholarships and all that and you know they're so, so you're so impressionable and so much you can give back to to these kids um that it I think it was a unique opportunity for me and you know in light of covid it's uh, been a good sort of middle ground as you know you wait for things to clear up if they if they clear up and when <laughs> so so, uh, Kevin, just
2: talking, then obviously we you, you kind of briefly touched upon it earlier. So kind of post-hockey we'll go to now. Um, so you, obviously you have your last season with the Blaze. Um, the USA-Canada Super Series, obviously, obviously we mentioned earlier you, you did it whilst in Australia. Um, then obviously you I think you were part of a three-man team to kind of get it over to the UK. Is that correct? Did I read that right?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Um, so Kerry Goulet was the guy that that ran them and Kerry, he runs stop concussions and he used to play for years in, in Germany and keep primo as a part of the organization and it became um an idea he you know he and I talked to, I was like, well you know they have a great fan base in 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 England and in the right setting in the right time it it could be a a great thing that you know would be would be a nice cause to to bring to the u k and it um was something that um obviously just interests outside of, you know, as being a player, helping, um, helping a good cause and helping, um, you know, a friend with his, um, you know, his, uh, sort of business. And, and it, it turned out to be go down pretty well. We had, I think 4,000 ish people in Sheffield and maybe, maybe less, but, um, it was good. And, you know, we got some good talent to come over for it and, um, it turned out to be a good, uh, a good event. Um, a few, a few hiccups along the way just with um um couple of arena situations in Sheffield and you know this just business just business stuff but um it it was always um a pretty uh you know i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that he can keep doing it in australia I'll, I'll say that um right now it's just the way the world is it's we don't know when and if we can do things but um or he can do those but hopefully things get better here soon it was good to watch from a fan's perspective,
2: uh, seeing all these players that normally you'd have to travel seven, eight, nine hours on a flight just to, to see them, to, to see them in like our own backyard. It was good to kind of have these big players. Like I've, I can't remember, if the USA netminder, I think at the time he played for Spitfires over in the US. Uh, I might be wrong. I can't remember his name now. It's going to bug me. Um,
5: Who was it? Um, oh, it's going to bug well, me. Joe, Frieder, gonna... The Canadian netminder, he played for the Panthers. In the playoffs this year, as a backup to, um, yeah, he was with them for most of the year. Uh, Chris Drieger was, you know, the backup to, um, oh,
2: that's who I'm thinking of. And it the was the guy, Springfield uh, signed, Thunderbirds. That's who it was.
5: Yeah, yeah. He signed from, um, Columbus to Florida. Anyways, um, I can't think of their starter in Florida's name now, but Chris was the backup there this year. And, um, then you had Obey Kubel, who was, um, with the flyers had a good playoff run kevin Biesa, who you know was hadn't really officially retired but hadn't played for a year was still you know com- you know could play and renee bork and tim stapleton you know some good guys there and yeah was, i thought it was um a great experience and i'm hopeful that maybe in the future that it'll be an opportunity to, to do it again in in england um and that when things kind of settle down good here
4: kevin um you've got the uh columbia valley hockey school with um well uh, a fan favorite chris bruton and uh brett brett Ponich, who's uh uh just a small man at six foot seven a drastic <laughs> session <laughs> overall at 48 in, in 2009 clearly from the conversation we've had tonight you love coaching and it's something you want to be involved in. Is this going to be running alongside your law degree and work or could, how, how, how would it go for you? Or is it just kind of, you want to put something back into the game?
5: You know, it's a great four week hockey camp in Invermere that um, hockey school is a place where the kids can go free from politics and outside influence and worrying about making a team or not. And in Canada, I'm sure much like football, maybe even the hockey system in the UK, I don't know, but there can be a lot of parent interference and a lot of problems that arise just in taking the element of fun out of the game. Yep. It's a place where I think, you know, a safe harbor where kids can just, you know, work on their skill, have fun and, you know, you know, there's no, you know, teams being, being made or, you know, so no trials or judgment. Um, And it's something that I enjoy, you know, coaching in those situations in that level, because I, you know, every word, you know, that you can give back to the youth is, you know, they hang on to every word you say. And it's so important um, that, shaping like sort of a mind at that age, much like probably a a school teacher feels with, you know, kids, kids at that age and, you know, seeing the way, you know, their face lights up, you know, playing hockey and having fun. And it was a shame that this year we couldn't do it just due to COVID. Um, And hopefully, you know, things are better for next summer that we can do it. Um, But for myself, I, you know, doing my law degree, um, coaching, um playing when i can play again in australia if we can play um and seeing um what's uh what's what's that book wherever i wind up (laughs) 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 wherever i wind up (laughs) Um, but yeah it's it's um i like the coaching i like the governance and corporate side and agent side too i'm not sure what i like more um perhaps maybe law will lead me down um i don't know maybe a who knows fellas maybe a role as a criminal defense attorney i mean i you got to think that half the people will like me there too i'm
4: slightly concerned if you become a hockey agent that uh carliff devils will phone you i'm not too sure if that will happen uh...
5: well story funny story I and mean, you guys can hear first i actually was representing a f- uh, few guys here in the English elite league and I'm working with another agent in Europe and, and dabbling in, you know, in that side of things. And, um, you know, I had a, I had when Lordo was there some good talks with him and, and, you know, Kiefer and Belfast and all the, and the other, and the other coaches in the elite league. And, and for me, it was never personal. So, you know, having, you know, and in hockey, I think sometimes maybe too many people thought it was. And for me, it was just a, a just the game and just the job and you know that's how i had to play and so when the when the game was done it was done for me and um but you know um i've had some you know great talks and with you know coaches that you know probably perceivably you know didn't like you as a player but um yeah i think like a guy like lordo and in that and you know like a guy like that yeah you have your battles but i also have a tremendous amount of respect for like the quality of a coach yeah. he is and the um, and the things that he he and how dedicated he is because being a coach is in my opinion i'll say it's such a tough tough job and it's such a dedicated position that it's it's not just something that you you just like kind of i think you should take you know with without seriousness um there's more hours that go into it and i know how hard you know coaches work and how many hours they put in and sleepless nights and you get off the bus and you're you know you're cutting video for the next day and and <clears throat> i think that yeah it um we will see like um uh, with the agent type of stuff and um where it goes but um i uh yeah, I think uh, I certainly, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of player movement going on right now. <laughs> must, Unless you want to play in, like, um, I don't know, Rome, Romania, but even there, even they're full. <laughs> yeah, I, I
4: must, I must say, Kevin, I, I love your mindset that the ice is the ice and off ice is that's it, and then let, let's rock and roll and then let, let's do work. I, uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, we, do, we We're going into our last few questions. We we realise we've had you on for some time. We appreciate it, but uh, I believe Ash is going to Ash is going to grill your brains here. <laughs> okay,
1: my final question, and we've asked all our previous guests this: from your hockey career, playing alongside, what would be your all-time top six? One netminder, two D-men, and three forwards from any step of hockey you've been in
5: oh gosh guys i played with hey you know it's tough you can answer it like just the best players or guys that there was never a dull moment with you know like just straight up fun (laughs) right like and that is it's kind of the round table questions like oh if you could have dinner with like two people <laughs> um, wow! Wow, fellas. Uh, well, you know I was always the type of guy like contrary like you know I was a gamer on the ice light switch like that and ultra serious competitive but I liked the laughs and stuff and the camaraderie so I I would probably go with more of um you know guys that I was just like close with and had like a lot of laughs and for net, ooh, okay, so I'll just go on guys that I played with. I'll just stay, stay there. Um, for net, you know, probably Brian Stewart because there would never be a dull moment in, <laughs> um, right? I don't I think I think people know enough. <laughs> so like,
0: you know
4: I, what, I, like- I honestly don't know what you mean, Kevin.
5: I, <laughs> There would be there, you know, off the ice. There would never probably be a dull moment. um, And there would always be a good time. Um, Defense. Well, obviously I have to put myself in there because I want to be part of it. Um, (laughs) uh, But, you know, I developed really close relationships with like my roommates, like Godfrey, you know, I love, I love gods and I stay close with them to this day. So I, I put gods in there because, you know, he's, um, just, yeah, you know, he's just, he's just my boy. You're not the first. I'm not the first. <laughs> no, no. God, right. God, he no, no. up quite a bit. Yeah, God, he's just, he's just my boy. And I, you know, I stay, in, I, I, I stay in touch with him quite a bit. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a, you know, a, an army of, of friends, but I have a lot of close and really good ones. Um, then I would say for forwards, I'd put probably my buddy, Justin Malin, another roommate. Um nobody would know him. Um Adam Cracknell, another good buddy, and he's playing in Denmark right now. He's supposed to be playing for the Oilers. And the last forward, hey. Oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. Oh that's a tough one. I'm going on the fun credit uh side, I think. So so probably Kale Tanaka. I don't know if you guys have had that one. Tank <laughs> with Tank and me always had a few laughs, so uh probably Tank in the room. Um yeah, and then um, as far as a, as a coach goes, if I had to add a coach into there to coach us, I'd probably say Bruce Ramsey in, uh in um in in uh Tulsa. And uh, if you ever have Drew Fisher on, you should get him to tell you a, a story about um, us with Bruce and in in the coast and just absolutely, just absolutely uh, a hilarious story. Well, what you'll have to do, Kevin, is you you,
4: you drop a message to Drew because we'd love to have him on. So, uh, go <laughs> from there.
5: Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll shoot you a message, and I'll tell him. He knows the story I'm talking about, too, involving uh, a, a game we lost, and, and you know, he'll have to set the scene with this coach, too, because he was um, an absolutely, like, great guy, but just a just um, a, an old throwback, you know, type coach, just, just a down-to-earth good time, therefore. But, yeah, no, those are... That'd be my you know, my starting, uh, my starting lineup, if you would. I don't know how much, we wouldn't win probably very many games, but, uh... <laughs> hey, but it's like I think between you and Kale Saturdays, we'd have a ton of fucking fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, between
2: exactly. you and Kale, I think I'd have to figure out who would spend the most time whining the opposition up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, it you know, he gets
5: away with a lot here. I, you know, I feel the lot of the, you know, stuff <laughs> Hank was, uh, he, uh, I think I, I helped him slide under the radar. Very cheeky
4: smile. Yeah, <laughs> that's
5: what it was. Look at yeah, his yeah. eyeballs. it was like,
2: hi.
0: Ironically oh, <laughs> yeah. enough,
1: saying Kale, when we did the live feed a couple of weeks ago and we did like dropped hints of who the next guest would be, and it was yourself, Kevin, there was a couple of people who turned around and said, when we said man, my character, Leo went, Kale, Kale, Kale straight away. We're like, nope,
2: not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
5: I'll put him in the book, <laughs> Kale. Yeah, put him in the book. Yeah, he's um, I think he's in the <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's um, yeah, I think it's cool what you're doing, fellas. And I'm sure hopefully a lot of fans are liking uh, listening to things. And it's probably you're 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 right on cue with uh, the podcast in this in this crazy time we live with live in. And 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 that, yeah, <clears throat> so thank you for the kind
2: words there, Kevin. Um, just with that's it that we've got now so if you want to wrap us up obviously we've we've had a couple of messages back and forth you know who our next guest is if you'd like to introduce him for us and i believe you've also got a question ready for him oh
5: yeah okay so this guy you know he's a great friend of mine and great buddy and i don't think you know setting it up i think people will guess by kind of the next thing i say is that he's probably he probably has more Educational qualifications than the majority of five hockey teams. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And if you were talking to Kale Tanaka, he would tell you that he'll he'll bore you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, the next guest is self-explanatory. Blaze legend, retired uh, number in the rafters next to some other greats. And, um, you know, the... The, the doctor himself, Russ Cowley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He looks like a doctor too, doesn't he? he doesn't <laughs> <look> like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we had some good talks, me and Russ, uh, and that and, you know, great buddy. And we still stay in touch to this day. And yeah, I'm sure he'll be, he'll be great for the podcast. And, um, I guess a question that I was thinking about this and, um, you know, can give them a funny one but i was gonna say you know i think a good man to to examine the current landscape of the english elite league and i will say and a typical in a typical educator doctor sort of phd master's question a five questions within a question i would say examine the elite ice hockey league and if you were commissioner if there was a commissioner you know, three changes you think you would make and be able to make to bring the um, sort of elite ice hockey league in England to the sort of forefront of European, you know, s- sport. Um, and now, and those questions, wow. Russ, can be related to, you know, governance, um, you know, Corruption, which is his field, <laughs> not sure, <laughs> not sure, there's, not sure there's where he'll go with that. But um, yeah, this be interesting to get his take on, um, you know, some some ways that the coming out of COVID, um, the English league can um, can can be better and to to thrive alongside other um, sports leagues that I'm sure he's examined in terms of a governance aspect
4: number number 56 kevin noble with the best question that i want to ask everybody you've just said it <laughs> 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 the fact Bellas. that you've played in this league and you know i'm more than happy that you've just asked that question and it might be a continuous question we ask everybody
5: maybe <laughs> yeah and, and and you know what i'm sure i'm sure your range of answers will go from um <laughs> intellectually stimulating to just like downright. That's just what's the Billy Madison (laughs) response. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I I think it's a, I think it's a good question and, and it's by no means to, and, and again, it'll probably be, you know, the half that the half that love you and the half that hate you will see the question two different ways. And it's by no means to, to, pile on to the English league. And it's, it's more just to say my respect for like, you know, four years there that I, you know, absolutely loved. And, you know, the, the people involved in, in the sport are tremendous and great, but I think, you know, as you know, somebody that's involved in the, you know, hockey Canada here and, and, and that, I think it's always an interest in how you can do better and how, and how your league can do better. And I I think it's, uh, something that, you know, Russ could probably, you know, you know, analyze probably more from a government, a governance side of, you know, from his, his studies and his uh, thesis that uh, I think he'd be great to speak on. And to be honest with you, if I, I, I'm sure there's certain things that everybody would probably say in regards to like, Oh, you need a TV deal and you need all these things, but uh, you know, those don't really come unless you have, you know, you know things in place that make it worthwhile for tv and in canada and much like our sort of landscape here is it's all about grassroots stuff and that's how it starts and i'd just say you know before you can examine the top you also have to look at the bottom and where and, and where it starts and um i think there's more people playing hockey in the uk i don't have numbers on that but it's it's probably. An area where maybe the English league needs to be more active in the the minor youth development, as opposed to, you know, the top development. But yeah, I could, I could talk. uh, I'll let Russ do the talking on that because I I could talk all day and we've all had, (laughs) me and him have had those discussions and they, they go for countless hours on a bus trip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow fantastic that's, that's a really good question so um, we'll wrap it up there then for you Kevin uh, is there anything from yourself Ash anything else you want to touch upon anything uh, from me now. thank you no Ross have you got anything that you'd like to throw in
3: no just uh, thank you for your time uh, appreciate it and thanks for the kind words about the podcast it's uh, much appreciated
5: yeah I think it's a good thing you're doing there fellas and You'll, uh, it's, uh, hopefully, um, you know, people are appreciating that in the, you know, getting their hockey, their hockey fix in these, uh, crazy, crazy times. And hopefully it, uh, hopefully it, uh, sorts itself out soon so the elite league can get back to playing and you can, you know, kind of, you know, get, get the podcast going while the season is on in that too, you know, sort of rounding up the weekly, uh, the weekly events and, uh, you know I'm I'm a glass half full guy I would say it'll be good to go in August next year or you know September we'll but yeah. we'll Brilliant. let we'll let Russ take it from there <laughs> <laughs> fantastic uh, He's gonna Scott have you got anything
4: <laughs> no I just for your insights and all. they've been they've been fantastic and uh, I really enjoyed having you on
5: yeah no for sure fellas thanks a lot for having me and obviously you know to all the fans listening you know thanks for all the support and my four years there and it was uh it was awesome time you'll time will never forget Brilliant. thank you very
2: much kevin it's been a pleasure having you on and uh, that's it for this evening we'll wrap it up there for you
1: <laughs> thanks for listening to
2: the third period podcast we you enjoyed the show you've got anything you want to say to us find us on facebook maybe join in
1: the next episode as always check out new for all your custom sportswear needs